troubles I face Why would I hunger for power or riches or fame My God is so much bigger than all of these things I won't be shed Absolutely beautiful. Thank you all. Wow.
Well, let's pray together. Lord, you are bigger, you're greater, you're stronger, you're more beautiful than anything and anyone. And we just thank you for extending your grace to us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And we know that your word never returns empty. Your word does a mighty work every time it's read, every time it's proclaimed. So Lord, if you would uh, just move me out of the way today and do what you want to do through your word. May your word just resonate in our hearts today and change our lives as we hear again uh, your good news. Lord, again, just send your spirit to move over this place. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read from John chapter 12, and I'm going to pick up the latter part of verse 36, but let me just remind you in the the, the first part of verse 36, Jesus said, while we have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And then Jesus begins, and then the story tells us, the narrative tells us that when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke to him. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. Well, our text this morning and next week's text mark the end of Jesus' public ministry. Therefore, Jesus declared at the very beginning of verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. You see, Jesus was finished teaching publicly. The remainder of his teaching in the Gospel of John is going to be primarily to his disciples. And so in the second half of this verse, Jesus hid himself from the public. And sadly, verse 37 summarizes the response of much of the public that though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And unfortunately, I believe this describes much of our world. That though there's been sign upon sign and evidence upon evidence, people still will not believe in him. There, there's been evidence that Jesus lived, that he died, that he was raised again on the third day, but still, people will not believe. Now, verses 38 to 40 tell us that this was to 
fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had spoken. And verses 39 to 40, I believe, are difficult for us. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This is a tough teaching. And this is one that we may never fully understand with our limited capacity. It would be a lot easier for me this morning if if John had left these verses out of his gospel. But he didn't. And even if he had, there are other passages that point to the doctrine of election that some people are drawn to Jesus and some are not. And God is just in doing so. Romans 9, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. John 6.44, Jesus taught, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. As I said, I don't fully understand it. I don't fully know why everyone is not saved. I'm left with no choice but to admit and agree with the Romans 11.34, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? But here's the real miracle, beloved. The real miracle is that any of us are saved. That's the miracle. The miracle, the great act of grace, is that God chooses any of us. It's not necessary for God to blind our eyes, for we we begin blind. We only come to Christ when He opens our eyes. And it's only then that we can see His grace. Further, if you look at the sequence in our text this morning, verse 37 tells us that at first, the people did not believe in Christ. And then verse 39 tells us that they could not believe in Christ. First, they would not believe, and then they could not believe. It started with their unbelief. Still further, Jesus has warned them about unbelief. If we go back to verse 35, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. Again, that you may become sons and daughters of the light. They've been warned. The people had been warned to believe in the light while they had a chance. I'll say it again, I don't fully understand the sovereign will of God. I don't know why some have blind eyes. I don't know why some have hard hearts. But this I know. I'm glad that God extended grace to any of us. Because ultimately, we do not deserve it. I'm glad He chose a sinner like me. And if you're one of His, you can also praise the Lord that He chose you. Though you did not deserve it by no merit of your own, He chose you. And God chose me. And glory, glory be to God and to God alone. 
Now look at verses 42 to 43, because that's where I want to spend most of our time this morning, but I needed to deal with that more complicated text before we got there. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. And then there's a but. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Our text says many believed. Even, even among the authorities, many believed. But they were afraid of the Pharisees, and therefore they would not confess their belief. So I want to ask, is it possible for someone to be a kind of secret believer in Jesus? I mean, is it possible to believe Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior and be truly committed to Him and yet remain silent about it? Is it possible to believe in Jesus with our whole hearts and not confess Him openly? I don't think so. And listen, I know there are places where the church has to go underground. There's places where the church has to go there in order to survive. There's places where believers have to be cautious about professing their faith because of great persecution. I understand that. And I think, quite frankly, I won't be surprised if one day we're not in that same place here in America. But I'm not thinking of that situation. And I'm not thinking of those places of great persecution. I'm thinking of where we live in the United States right now. Can we be secret believers? I don't think so. Our text says that on the surface these people believed. But the very way the text is worded calls into question whether or not their faith was genuine. And in Luke 12, Jesus very explicitly said this, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Romans 10 goes on to say, If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Beloved, there must be acknowledgement, and there must be confession. We don't know if these authorities in John 12 ever came around to confessing Jesus. We don't know if they ever genuinely confessed their faith. But at this point, they had not. And I want to look at the reasons why they had not. I think it, it, it helps us think about our faith. I think it helps us think about how we're professing faith, how we're openly walking or not openly walking with the Lord. Let's go back to verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They believed, but they had great fear. They were worried about being put out of the synagogue. And one of the things positively we can say about these so-called secret believers 
is that they knew there was a high cost in being a disciple of Jesus. But they weren't willing to pay that price. In their case, it was significant. It involved what we would call excommunication from Jewish religion and society. That they would be barred from public worship. They would be excluded from the religious life of their people. They would lose position and likely income. In Jewish society, they would have become a pariah, an outcast, one excluded from, quote, decent society. People would have whispered when they went by. People would have gone to their children and said, don't talk to those people. So in fairness to these people who kind of went underground and wanted to be secret, they did understand that the cost was high, and it was very high. They were trying to be secret disciples. But as someone has said, secret disciples is a contradiction in terms. For either the secrecy will kill the discipleship, or else the discipleship will kill the secrecy. Listen to that one again. Either the secrecy will kill the discipleship, or the discipleship will kill the secrecy. Have we counted the cost? Have we counted the cost of being a disciple of Jesus? Are you and I willing to pay the price? Have we put our hands to the plow and not looked back? You know, I've used a plow a few times uh, on a tractor growing up. But I've also used, and some of you that, that are older will know about this, I've also used a push plow. Anybody here ever used a push plow? And if you, if you don't know much about it, it's basically a steel wheel out front with some spokes. It's got an axle. The handles come off of that axle, and it's got a plow underneath, and you've got to bear down on it to make that row and to push it through the dirt. My grandparents had one, and their mule had long died, so I was the mule uh, for a push plow. And I couldn't make a very straight row, even if I concentrated. But if I look back, if I was off over here looking, that row was like this. And no GPS in Cleveland, North Carolina in those days to, for a straight row. Following Jesus is a little bit like that. If we're going to walk with Jesus, we, we can't be looking back. We can't be looking all over the place. If we do, we're going to be all over the place. You and I are called to count the cost and to forge ahead. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a man who understood counting the cost. He understood it more than most men and women understand it. As a pastor and professor, he stood against Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. He was particularly vocal about the Nazi persecution and euthanasia of the Jewish people. And the Gestapo arrested him in April of 1943. And in April of 1945, just weeks before World War II ended in Europe, the Nazis hanged Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now Bonhoeffer could have remained silent. He could have played it safe. He could have kept his private thoughts private. But as a Christian pastor, he could not. For you see, in 1937, Bonhoeffer had written a Christian classic, The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he reprimanded Christians 
and the church for not counting the cost. For making Christ's grace what he called cheap grace. And Bonhoeffer not only wrote the cost of discipleship, but he lived the cost of discipleship and paid for it with his life. I think he's worth listening to. Let me read an excerpt from his book. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave their nets and they go and follow him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow him. And it's grace because it does indeed call us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it cost a man his life, but it's grace because it gives a man or a woman the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of His Son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for your life and for my life, but delivered Him up for us. You see, beloved, we've received very, very, very costly grace. <clears throat> Have we counted the cost of discipleship? Have we counted the cost of following Him? Have we put our hand to the plow and not looked back? Will we follow? And then I just want to point out one way these so-called secret believers were unwilling to count the cost. Yes, they were concerned about being excommunicated from Jewish religion and societal life. But the root of their issue is found in verse 43. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They love praise from humankind more than the praise of God. You see, theirs was a very hierarchical society. So staying in the right social strata was very important to them. They, they wanted to be thought well of by their superiors, and they wanted those who were, quote, beneath them to praise them. And most of us want to be thought well of, do we not? But these men loved the praise of others. They loved their prestigious positions in the synagogue and the Sanhedrin. And they refused to confess faith in Christ. They traded the eternal praise of God for the fleeting praise of humankind. And that's a bad deal every time. That's a bad deal every time. 
Beloved, there's a cause to being a disciple of Christ. And sometimes it includes being unpopular. Sometimes it includes even persecution. Are we living to please God or to please people? And the issue for these authorities here was that they would not openly profess their faith. Are we openly professing faith? I think that's a key question for all of us. Especially as the environment's ever-changing in America and it's not so popular to be a Christian. Are we living for the praise of humankind or the praise of God? Are we living for the glory others might give us or for the glory that God gives us? I suppose Jesus couldn't have been more clear than what he said in Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his glory? For his soul, I mean. What will it profit a man or a woman if we gain the whole world and forfeit our soul? That question haunts me every time I read it. What would it profit me if I gained the whole world but forfeit my soul? That's a convicting question, isn't it? What am I living for? Who am I living for? Will I boldly confess Jesus no matter the cost? Even the cost of denying self and taking up my cross? Will I? Will you? Let's pray together. Lord, this is a hard text. And if I can be honest with you, Lord, and you already know my heart, I would have liked to have skipped it. It would have been easier. But I think perhaps we've had it too easy here in the United States for a long time. We've had a free ride. There's been seasons where it was even popular to be a Christian. There have been seasons when people just wanted to be in a church to, because it was the popular thing to do. But I think the signs are there, Lord, that that season's coming to an end. I can't help believe that you might be sorting out your faithful remnant even now. And I pray that we might be among that faithful remnant. I pray that we might be among those who have counted the cost 
and who have chosen to follow you. Lord, I do pray that we would seek your praise more than the praise of others. And Lord, where we've tried to be secret believers, would you just please forgive us? By your Spirit, empower us that we might make a bold profession of faith. I pray that we'll forge ahead. That we will be your faithful followers no matter the cost. May we deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow you. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, honor, and praise today and forevermore. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace today and forevermore. Amen.